I need a black chip. <laughs> Dude, be nice. Stop reading my shirt to me. <laughs> You're the one wearing it. It's a good idea. Dude, be nice. What is this Dude Be Nice brand? Uh, it's a it's a website, yeah. DudeBeNice.com. <laughs> you know, I was a house painter my whole career. And so we work on ladders. And the, at the top of the ladder, it always says on the very top step, not this is step. not a step. Uh-huh. And we wanted to start a line of clothing for painters called This Is Not A Step Brand. I like that, but I think we could run with something in, in like the recovery realm of this is not a step. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new podcast. This is, is not, not a step. Don't do as I do. <laughs> that could be fun. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Sam. And I'm Don. Hi, Don. Hi, Sam. Did I mess you up there? No, a little bit. It's kind of get things out of order, but that's good. We need to mix it up. You know, we got to keep it fresh. That's right. You know, wear life like a loose garment. Yeah, I'm letting it flow. I'm not going to touch that. Okay. Um, I, so, hi, Don. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm, um, I'm doing a lot better than I think I am. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. So I tend to not think I'm doing good, but really I'm doing good. I got a I got a belly button birthday coming up, so I, so I guess I really will be an old timer. You've been an old timer for a while now. Trust me. When does old timer start? <laughs> when you're older than me. <laughs> well, that's always been that. That's right. That's, You'll always be older, and I'll always be prettier. I was I was two, <laughs> I was two. I'm not touching that. I was two years uh, sober. And I I gave a chip to my sponsor's sponsor who had 12 years. And he was probably about 45. And I called him an old timer. <laughs> because, I mean, I had one year. He had 12 years. Yeah. It was like forever. And he was like, old timer? This is the first time I've ever been called an old timer. It's all perspective. But I'm getting used to it. Because I'm really just playing an old timer here. Oh, is that what it is? So you, are you saying you're faking it? it well, the wisdom part, yeah. <laughs> you're, far, you're doing really as, well on that. As far one. as ask the old timer what to do, I don't. I don't think I've got all. You know, the now I love that. I was talking with my sponsor yesterday. I had a particular thing that just like I needed some guidance on. And, and we talked and talked and talked, and then he just nailed it. He uh, Like the perfect thing. And in, the situation was something that he had no experience with. He had already talked with his sponsor about it to get some, some ideas too. And then he came out with the most perfect statement around the whole thing. Wow. And I told him, it's like, that's you nailed it. Yeah. And he was like, I am so glad to hear that. That is fantastic. And I'm like, well, really, it wasn't you. It was God using you. So right. same thing for you, Don. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the, the brilliance, the, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not you. I'm fully aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is not a step. <laughs> Brand. Well, we have a guest, and I'm excited. Introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Teresa, and I am an alcoholic. <laughs> hey, Teresa. We're hey, really Darisa. glad you joined us. Hey. I'm happy I'm here. Teresa, when, when did you get sober? Um, I got sober August 8th, 2011. Mm-hmm. So right after I got married. Okay. So, yeah, I came back from my honeymoon dry, miserable, and I, you know. What? So you didn't drink on your honeymoon? I did not drink on my honeymoon. We went to Dick's. Of course, you know, just like a fan- the type of fancy person that I am, we went to Myrtle Beach on our honeymoon because that's just super fancy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we, um, we went to Dick's and I remember everyone just drinking alcohol and we sat at the bar because I'm, you know, that type of alcoholic. And I was sitting there and I was pissed. Because um, everyone around me was drinking. Yes. And the bartender Why were happy. you not drinking? Because I had, so the week before I got married, um, or I say a week, you know when we, when you're drunk, time is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fluid. <laughs> yeah. It's just a construct yeah. anyway. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, right roughly around that time, I decided to stop drinking because I got drunk and then I don't know how, either I ran out of booze, but I sobered up. And came out of my blackout, and I noticed what I was doing. And um, I was ruining, you know, this relationship that I loved. And like I always did when I drank. And um, that's a little deep. But um, anywho, so I decided to stop drinking then. And so we had a dry wedding and a dry honeymoon. What a thing to do. Yeah. And when you say you had a dry wedding, are you saying you didn't have alcohol there at the reception? There was no alcohol and, at okay. the reception. When and, we and had made so that. it wasn't just you that were, was dry. It was the whole event. Mm-hmm. Did your yeah. husband drink? Um, so, no, not really. Um, I don't remember, to be honest with you. I mean, he drinks now, but he's not. I mean, it drives me crazy It wasn't a sometimes. big deal for him for it, it to not. be dry? Mm-mm. He doesn't care one he way or the other. It drives me crazy when we go to eat and he'll have a beer. That's the way my and, wife is. And yeah. we're done and the beer is just like still sitting that there is asking not you right. to drink. I'm like, what the are fuck you, are you doing? Are drink you, that shit up. Are you not going to finish that? <laughs> it's a waste of beer. It's a waste of drunk. You know, I, I, have, I have said this before and I stand by it. People who drink like that are not normal. Yes. We are the normal that people. That is absolutely true. <laughs> There's a certain point. I don't know. Well, I don't have a big book, but I, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. So it's really, for a person who's not an alcoholic... They think we're bizarre because yeah. if you don't want to drink, if you're drinking too much, well, quit drinking. So, I mean, it's a, a whole different thing for the other person, for a person who's not an alcoholic. For us, it seems like, why in the world are you leaving that? Mm-hmm. That impending doom. And it's just wasteful. I mean, yeah. if nothing else, it's just wasteful to leave that much of a drink, even though it's only the backwash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shit, drink the backwash. Come yes. On. I don't know. I I'm not letting anything. I mean, I can't tell you how many beers I finished off with cigarettes in them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, not on. I mean, Talk I didn't. About desperate. Don't you? <laughs> I didn't finish yes. them off, but I did drink. I did drink cans. I'd go around and just drink cans and make mm. sure there was one sitting there yeah. that didn't have a cigarette butt in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I'm checking for cigarette butts. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> checking for cigarette butts. Waste not, want not. Well, Dorisa, how I'm interested in this, like, what was your thinking that you're about to get married and you decide, okay, that's it. I'm not drinking anymore. It just seems like really rash. <laughs> well, I had tried um, AA. You, you had know, tried before? Yes, I had about a year prior to. And um, I did everything that you weren't supposed to do. You know, I was completely dishonest to the sponsor that I had. I, you know, messed around with the steps. But really, you know, I was that kind of person. I would call my sponsor and tell her everything that she wanted to hear. <laughs> um, and I wasn't a part of anything. You know, I was just, I don't know. I was very selfish and self-centered. Oh, my God, um, you alcoholic. What? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I started secretly drinking and I'm a, like, I, I was a stoner as well. So I'm not sure if I ever really stopped smoking pot at that time. Too. Okay. Like I remember meeting with my sponsor and she asked if I was stoned and I was just like, uh, yeah, she's like, yeah, it's, it's an abstinent program. Like you're not supposed to do anything. <laughs> and I was shocked. I was like, what? You know, How am I supposed to get through life? <laughs> this this guy that told me I was an alcoholic, he didn't drink alcohol. He still smoked pot. And I was just like, well, maybe I can do that too. And um, that was not the case. And apparently there are some people who can do that. Yeah. But... That's not how I can stay sober. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, I would drive down roads and I would, um, you know, have my little peace pipe and I'd smoke pot, you know, and then I'd stop by the ABC store and Sonic and get my mixed drink and just drive around like life was perfect until it wasn't. Um, but anywho, back to the to the question, I completely lost track. So what? what <laughs> yeah, so it was perfect. It was working. It was working. For, so why was it not working? What what happened? You know, it just, it, it's that unmanageability that people talk about and the fact that I was ruining everything around me. You know, I was, funny story is I think I, this past Thursday, um, my brother-in-law's in town and my um, niece uh, was playing with my pepper spray, you know, because that's what a 10-year-old should do. Oh, Lord. And that's what a responsible adult should do is put the pepper spray to wear children that's bright pink (laughs) in front of them. So it wasn't entirely her fault, but you know, she's looking at this pepper spray and I'm, you know, playing with her, her, my nephew and she sprays it. And, um, luckily she sprayed it on the wall and not directly in someone's face, Uh but this pepper spray, we all start coughing. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, there's something wrong. And I immediately, immediately, look over to her and I'm just like did you just spray that and she's like oh uh-huh. I'm like oh my god everybody run to the back of the house like you know we're all running and my husband's just like why is everybody <coughs> coughing and um and that's pretty much how my alcoholism was you know like I was the pepper spray and I was the sprayer you know I I I you know made everyone not so much cough but you know I, I destroyed everyone around me and the relationships that I had and you know, I thought about that when we were like hiding in a room, sitting on the floor. For so, why would we sit on the floor, not a couch or a bed? Just you know, it was like one of those like moments where I was just like, we got to sit on the floor instead of being we're- a tornado <laughs> running through people's lives. She was a noxious <laughs> cloud, <laughs> a noxious cloud of pepper spray, covered crawl. <laughs> She'll go away eventually, but yeah. So. um, 
so when I came into AA and I didn't do anything, I started to secretly drink and, um, and then on my bachelorette party, I made it official and decided to come out with my drinking. Um, oh, so you had recently been to AA and, mm-hmm. and started drinking again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would still go to meetings and, um, and then I'd go get drunk afterwards and stuff like that. Go meet people over at a Why bar. were you going to meetings? You know, I don't, because I was still keeping up with that facade that of sobriety like I still wanted to pretend that I was sober even though I was drinking for people around me at that point you know I had I hadn't even made friends at that point but Mm -hmm. I just I felt like as if I not entitled but I felt like I owed them my presence Because I'm that amazing. (laughs) And I totally get that. I'm sitting close to you and I just feel the power. Um, (laughs) I get that a lot. (laughs) Um, But I'm I'm curious. So the time that you were in AA, you were getting high, you were smoking pot, Mm -hmm. and then you started drinking again. Eventually, yeah. Um, Did you get anything out of AA while you were doing that? Um, It got into my head. Bingo. That's what I was, that's what I was going for. Um, yeah. And so, because it's totally that thing of you do not have to be sober Mm -hmm. to come to AA. I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous request for us to ask someone, particularly someone new to be sober. There are many people, I didn't have to, but I know many people had to take a drink or three Mm -hmm. to go to a meeting. So just to dispel any conception that anyone listening might have that you got to be sober to go, just no. don't be a disruption. <laughs> a desire to stop drinking is all that's required so, to be a member. Which exactly. is amazing, you know, that there's a sense of freedom in that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just knowing that there's no obligation to either be sober, uh, even though it, it helps. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's easier to get sober yeah. if you don't drink, yeah. but... <laughs> I mean, eventually it's, it, eventually it's, that, that sobriety, that, you know, that, that those promises, it's, it is contagious and yeah. you start to want it. Yeah. It's attractive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had been to AA, mm-hmm. you started drinking again, mm-hmm. got a, a wedding coming up and you're going, I'm, I'm doing it dry. Was it fun? Dry? Absolutely not. I mean, I was miserable. I was, you know, I was fighting everything inside of me. You know, I never, I don't know why, but when I had tried AA in the past, I never heard or my ears were just filled with shit that I didn't want to hear. But that relation to where it's just like that, the phenomenon of craving, you know, it just, it was all the time and Mm -hmm. I I couldn't let it go and, and I couldn't have it. You know, because I already knew what I had done and what, what I was What capable. had you done? Well, you know, I was, I was such a mean drunk. I just would say things that, I, that were just mean. I mean, I threw my engagement ring at my, my husband multiple times. So we've been together 12 years. So he mm-hmm. and I've been sober for seven years. I'm coming on eight in August, of course. But he was there for me through, through that chaos and I looked at him and I was just like, I love this person so much. And I'm just destroying this relationship. And it was my, tr- my, the first relationship that I had ever really had that was good. You know, um, I had always chosen unhealthy relationships or just unhealthy lifestyles and things like that. And, you know, I just, I didn't want it anymore. And 
I wanted to stop the cycle, I guess it was, it was more so my higher power just kind of, because naturally for me, I'm a lazy person, honestly, you know? And like, I mean, I've tried so many diets like for one day <laughs> and I give up, you know? So, but you did it awesome that I, day. That's didn't right. You? I, you know, yeah. portioned the shit out of everything. I'm like, yes, that's right. I will have 20 ounces of water in the next two hours. But, um, you know, I just, it, it, it definitely was something bigger than me that, brought me to this, that, that moment of desperation and, and to stop drinking. Um, but yeah, it was horrible. I knew that when I came back, I told my husband, I was like, listen, I'm going to be dry. You know, I'm not going to drink, but then I'm going to go to a meeting. And actually when we came into town, um, on August 8th, I went to an AA meeting that night and I picked up a start over chip and man, I'll tell you like that, that was a heavy walk. You oh, know, yeah. just picking up the start, the, like the word start over is just, it just sucks sometimes. But, um, you know, they, they loved me, you know, you loved me before I can love myself. And I think that was, I don't know, it's still beautiful. Like when I see people who pick up a start over chip, I'm just like, man, I love you. Like you have no, idea. I don't know you. I don't need to know you, but I love you. And thank you for coming back and keep coming back, you know, like whenever I say that, like, I feel like I really mean it because mm -hmm. people lives are so meaningful today. They really are. Absolutely true. And so I just, I, I started watching queer eye the third season and there was a, uh, a quote, uh, that they, um, did on season three, episode four, uh, <laughs> that I had to post on Facebook because I just, it hit me so hard. It was a guy who was, um, very self-deprecating was who, who they were making over. And, and what was said was, nobody else is saying these things about you. It's you. None of his friends, none of his loved ones, his kids, his wife, no one was saying these things. He was saying these things. And that just kind of knocked me in the head when I heard it because it was very much what I'm hearing you say about picking up that start over chip. Mm -hmm. Nobody is beating us up. Nobody mm -hmm. is shaming us. Nobody is being mean to us in any way. When we go to pick up that start over chip, they are so glad we're back. They're glad that we're trying again, that we are here and we want this. And it's us. It's my thinking when I'm walking down, I've done that walk too. Mm. And when I was walking to pick up that chip, the moments leading up to it and everything were so hard. They, I mean, and it was all me. Mm -hmm. No one else was doing that to me. But let me ask this, because I haven't had a start over Chip, but both of you are describing this sense of like utter defeat, failure, which is exactly what I felt picking up the start Chip. I haven't started over, but it was awful. Mm. It was like, you know, and I, and I saw no hope. I didn't really believe AA was going to work, but my life was a wreck i was i was an utter wreck emotional and spiritual wreck and i felt like i was totally at the bottom and like there's there's no hope and i felt like a complete failure to go to aa admit of all things that i'm an alcoholic this is a brand that i'm putting on myself so is that not the place of surrender that we have to get to to really accept what AA asks us to do and do the steps? It absolutely is. Um, 
But for me, the experience of picking up that start over chip was this thing of, I have failed at this. I have failed at the surrender. Oh, yes. I have. Okay. You know, it, I it's hate like to, I've tried it and it failed. Well, and I hate to say this, but it's true. Uh, it, in my experience talking with others who have started over, and that is just like someone who is not alcoholic is going to have a damn hard time ever getting getting it, what an alcoholic goes through, what being an alcoholic is. Someone who has never picked up a start over chip is going to have a hard time getting what picking up that start over chip is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to other you, mm-hmm. um, but it is that same time. It's just like talking with someone who's straight, trying to, to them trying to get what it's like to be gay, or someone who's white trying to get what it's like to be black, or a man trying to get what it's like to be a woman. These things, because it's not you, mm-hmm. you're not going to get it 100%. So it was a tough thing, and it was a, a shame that I carried in that moment. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I can. Well, I can appreciate w- what you're saying now that you the the way that you've put it. It's mm-hmm. layered on top of it. I mean, when I came into AA, it was like all brand new. You're talking about failing at it and going and saying, "Okay, uh, I'm still not. I'm still an alcoholic. I'm still can't get it." <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand. So so you did that, but. It, you said that your numbers were there. It sounds like you drank again. Did you drink again after that? No. That was it. No, that, August 8th. Was or when August you, 8th, 2011. is was, when you picked up that start over. Is when I picked over. up that start over chip, and that was it for me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, so did, uh, how long after that? Or did you work with the same sponsor? Did you get a new sponsor? Or um, I got a new sponsor. Okay. Um, and then that relationship didn't last very long. And, and it, nothing about that person. But, you know, I just found someone else. You know, mm-hmm. I, I knew that as, grabbing a sponsor as quickly as possible was extremely important. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I grabbed somebody and then I kept listening to this woman constantly talk. And I every time she talked, I listened. And she just seemed... Very, I don't know, powerful, I, I guess is the word that I, that I definitely would use for her. Even, I mean, even today. And, and I, I remember asking her to be my sponsor, which was, which is so embarrassing. It's like asking someone on a date that you don't know. <laughs> exactly. Like, yes. are you going to get rejected? Like what's exactly. going to happen? <laughs> oh, it's so, I, I, I was, exactly. I was at a meeting Friday night and, and this kid, my home group is with young people. And, and this kid was like, I, I talked with him before and it's like suggested someone to be a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just ask him. And he asked me after the meeting, well, how do I ask him? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so that, I mean, it's a yeah. tough thing to do. Yeah. It it's a little bit of surrender there. It's like going, well, okay, am I going to ask this other person to help me live? Yes. It's also rejection for me. Mm-hmm. Like, rejection. you know, possible. and like, yeah, possible rejection. I mean, I think I was rejected a couple of times asking someone to sponsor me prior to this woman and a couple of times. And it was just like, oh, it's probably me, which it probably was, you know, because I, I mean, I remember some of these women had heard me talk about how I was going to drink at my bachelorette party, you know, and so they're probably like, no, 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 boo, <laughs> you're not willing, you know, or maybe not. I don't really know, but I, 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 I don't know. I'm done ranting. <laughs> Mom brain, can I say that? It could be that 
they had heard that, or it could be that they have their own lives and mm-hmm. couldn't take another person. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, today, like, I mean, I absolutely get it. But of course, you know, when you're first new, you're so self-centered everything you know I remember thinking about what I wore to meetings you know and like what like what my hair looked like and did they hear you know, what's funny is when people um speak you know sometimes before they speak I'm like just remember like no one's probably going to remember what you've said <laughs> 30 minutes after the meeting they're probably going to forget it the moment you say it and most of the time they're not listening 100% I mean that's the reality <laughs> you know and I was like and it makes it, it for me it makes me feel so much better because I'm not significant you know, these people are just there to get a meeting, get what they need and then get out. And, and that's okay, yeah. you know, but getting a sponsor is really, really difficult. Even today it is like whenever, you know, you're looking for, if you decide you find someone that you want to be your sponsor, you know, that's, that's also difficult trying to figure out how to let go of one person yeah. and get the other person. Cause it's, it's changed. like, it's I have two girlfriends now. Like, what do I do? How do mm. I let them go? Yeah. What what is something so things changed for you in AA? Mm-hmm. Describe some pivotal moment based on a step where something changed for you in AA. Well, of course, this sounds you know everyone probably says this, but it's the fourth and fifth step. Honestly, it's it's both of them. Um, when I came into AA, you know, I I love Oprah Winfrey. Like she is amazing, and I can't. Wait we to don't meet use her. last names on the podcast. Oh, my bad, Oprah. <laughs> Oprah W. Actually, I'm not even supposed to say the initial Oprah. (laughs) Is there another Oprah in the world? I don't think Uh, there is. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, is her name copywritten? I mean, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to have to pay a royalty. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I always thought I was going to write this book. And I was going to be on Oprah's show and we were going to talk. This is before she was off air. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to get on there. We're going to have this amazing talk. It's going to be beautiful. And so I start writing this fourth step, honestly. And it, I'm just like, hold on. There's something else going on. Like, this is not like, I'm not the victim anymore. You know, and most of my drinking, one of the reasons that I loved to drink was to forget about you know, the things that I had done the night before or the things that I had said or just to forget. And so like my, that fourth step was supposed to be my moment, you know, the poor Dorisa moment. And it did not fucking oh. happen. I remember sitting there in my sponsor's house with our fifth step. And I love, I love this woman to death. Um, and we're still friends today. And, you know, she was sitting there listening to me and and things start, you know, a lot of those character defects, it's just like they're consistent a lot of the times with those mm-hmm. resentments. You That's know? the point of the of the four patterns show up. What? <laughs> See that pattern. <laughs> and and so, you know, we're sitting there and we're talking and she starts to doze off. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, I first off, no one has ever lived my life before. <laughs> I'm special. I'm important. And she's falling asleep. And I'm just looking over and I'm just like, this, this bitch. <laughs> and, you know, and then like we last about another 45 minutes and, and I, you know, she tells me to, you know, go home and find a moment and, you know, do the sixth and seventh step. And I remember walking away, like my ego so deflated, not only because of, you know, those patterns and my character defects, but there was a sense of freedom as well. Just realizing that again, I'm not that significant and that I had 
done a lot of damage. And I guess that's what I would say was like that, that pivotal moment to where I can accept the fact that I am not the victim, you know, I am the destructor and, and not all the time too, you know, because sometimes I can really beat myself up. I mean, I'm, I'm that kind of person as well. You know, I, I am really hard on myself and I have, I have expectations of myself that are super unrealistic. Oh yeah. We hold, I, I mm-hmm. hold myself to standards. I hold no one else. Yes. To. I mean, like my baseboard should always be clean. First off, they're not. <laughs> I look at them all the time and I'm just like, huh. I'm going to get you one day. <laughs> I'm going to get you, but oh not today. <laughs> God, I relate to that. <laughs> it's like midnight and I'm like cleaning my baseboards. Like I'm, I'm finally doing it. <laughs> well, it's a revelation to, to, to put a name on these repetitive things that I do that don't work, mm-hmm. that are my character defects. And to go through that process of, which is just beautiful to start out writing a list of anger, mm. who I'm angry at, and what they did to me. And then you discover, that, okay, now what's your part in it? Mm-hmm. And when I'm looking at my part in it, I see these repetitive patterns of ways that I unconsciously react mm-hmm. to situations that get me in trouble every time, again and again and again. Here it is, and here it is again. Here it is again. Here's what I do. Here's what I did. I did it here, and I did it here, and I did it here. And to be able to accept that is like, it's it's both painful, but it it's incredible to, to see that it makes sense. Well, and it's only when it's in writing in front of me mm-hmm. that I'm going to see that. Yeah. Because if I'm telling you my narrative, if I'm just talking about it, if I'm letting it rattle around in my head, that pattern's not going to be pres- present. I'm, or it's present, but I'm not going to see it. It's got to be written down. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's an incredible thing to, to really get a handle on that. I discovered that what matters is my actions and not my uh, intentions. Mm. And mm. I thought that my character was my intentions. Yes. And my character is not my intentions. Yeah. My character is the things I do, and my character was flawed. My intentions weren't flawed. Oh, I had grand <laughs> intentions. I was the most wonderful friend, family member, yes. citizen. In all my the- mind. Yes. <laughs> Just don't look at what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. it's funny that we have that idea of the kind of person that we are compared to the reality of the the tornado that we had become at that point or pepper spray Mm -hmm. or pepper spray Mm -hmm. (laughs) noxious cloud (laughs) (laughs) all right so what what's your life like now sober um life is amazing (laughs) (laughs) so when i first got sober no children, you know, I was just married and we were living in a shitty apartment and I couldn't keep a job. And today, you know, we, I'm, I've been married for seven years. I have two children. I have a six year old and a two year old. And we had a soccer game yesterday. So I was actually able to be present at the soccer game and, you know, yell at my child in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> Yell for your child. Yeah. 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 Encourage. Sure, we can say. Enthusiastically encourage your child. Okay. Yes. There we go. That's (laughs) all. Like, don't put your hand on the bow. (laughs) 
Your fingers and, are going to break. And all this was without one of those giant Yeti cups yeah. filled with wine or something oh, like absolutely. that, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. You know, and I could, re- like, I didn't feel like crap waking up that morning. And, you know, we're like, I have a job. I can hold a job today. Like, I'm a part of, you know, I have relationships. I used to hate women in AA and, or not women in AA, but just women in general. You know, I was just, you know, I thought women were catty and today I love women. You know, I have a group of friends. We get together every once in a while and I, you know, I've never found such true relationships um, until I came into AA. And the reason why I hated women come to find out was because I was, you know, the one who was backstabbing. I was the one, you know, who hated them secretly. That was me. Everything that I felt and I did, I was projecting onto the women that I was quote unquote friends with, you know, I was poisonous. Um, So yeah, that's what my life is like today. Um, I get to show up and be a part of the world. Yeah. That sounds attractive. Mm -hmm. It is. I love it. You know, I love sobriety. I love AA. And, you know, when I hear of people who are struggling to stay sober or who have decided to stop drinking, like my heart just goes out. I'm just like, gosh, I remember that. Like, it's so hard, you know, that, that defeat being defeated is so, it feels so heavy. But the thing is, is that once you get here, like once I got here, I did, I don't have to feel that way again. Yes. It's, it was one of those trite phrases Mm -hmm. that I heard (laughs) when I came in these rooms and I am one of the guys who says it now. And that thing of you never have to feel this way again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's absolutely true. I felt like utter shit coming into these rooms, hung over and just like beaten down by alcohol and all my consequences. And even having started over, I never felt as bad as I did when I first came to these rooms. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever have to again if I don't drink. I will say, though, year two and three suck ass. (laughs) I mean, they do. I mean, because, you know, that pink cloud starts to, you know, disintegrate, I guess. and, And you're stuck with emotions and the reality that if you have messed up, you have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Or, or you don't have to fix it. You can live in misery for up until you're ready to get rid of it. Yeah, it's going to totally suck while you know? you're and, living and in it. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, at some point in year one, you decide, you have this, for me, my sponsor ended up turning into my higher power. Okay. You know, and, and that was really dangerous for me because I recognized that. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I think I want to be like this woman. I want to talk like this woman. I want to dress like this woman. And it was that chameleon still. And yeah, that's superficial. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was really hard to, you know, detach from that relationship, find someone else as a sponsor that I, that I just kind of grabbed onto who I felt, you know, her spirituality was something that I really desired because I didn't have that spirituality to the fault of my, like it, it was my own doing, you know, I, I just, again, I put my higher power as human form and, and humans have a tendency to um, fail. Uh, yeah. You know, so uh, year two for me was learning how to depend on my higher power yeah. solely on my higher power. Um, I mean, even my husband, like, honestly, like I love him more than anything in the world. But today, if something were to happen in our relationship, I know that I would be okay. Like I look at him and I'm like, I love you. I clearly, I'm not like, I'm going to leave you, but I'm like, I love you. But if something ever happened, I know that I would be okay. And that I know that I can stay sober through all of this. Um, but I feel like that's what year two did for me. It, It was so, 
so hard. Was you there know, something that happened that year in particular, or was it just finding the willingness to, to let go or finding the ability to trust just came from someplace inside rather than some external event. Well, so, you know, I, we had a, a friendship, you know, me and my sponsor at that time, we were really close and it, I don't know, like all of those relationships started to become somewhat unhealthy and we all started to recognize it. And the relationship, again, I put, I made everyone else, my higher power, my sponsor and everybody else. And, and once they failed me, you, you had know. to learn not to do that. Absolutely. And so I cut those relationships off. You know, I'm a very extreme person. Sometimes when I'm like, you know, I'm going to do something, I'll I'll do it immediately. And, you know, like I smoke a cigarette and then I throw up like 30 minutes later. I'm just like, but I'm going to smoke the fuck out of that cigarette. And I'm cussing a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, um, I don't have my children here so I can say it all I want. <laughs> You're right ahead. They're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that so all of those friendships, it was about five of us, and it just like they just went away. It was the first heartache hmm. that I was able to feel sober, and I had to feel that heartache sober because I loved these women, I trusted these women, and it was nothing that anybody did specifically. It was just time to let go. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, but it's, you let, know, it's, it's all letting go. The, that's what sobriety is. Mm-hmm. So there's always more letting go to do. Yeah, <laughs> and and well, in that willingness, and but the willingness that you found there to trust that you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That that's the jumping off point too yes. that we talk about. And I totally get what you're talking about. That um, if uh, if your relationship were to end today with your with your husband, that you'd be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's a deep level of trust. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Some, I people have don't, found some, that. some people don't have it. And it can be in money. Usually I, I find if I'm working with someone and they're having a terrible time with uh, financial insecurity, mm-hmm. well, it really comes down to trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things that I Where did you get had, it, uh, Sam? Because you, you sound like you're saying I, I think kind of, it's experience. I think it's just experience of this has happened and this has happened and this has happened mm-hmm. and I have been okay through every single bit of it, particularly when I just kept on doing the things that I've learned in these rooms. It's from looking back. Yeah, yeah. There are things that are going to happen in my life that I'm not going to like. Yeah, bad shit happens. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's the end. It's just another change. Can get, I can go through this. Exactly. But that's not how I was no. when I got here, and it was a while in here before I got there. But there were things like, I mean, I still remember to this day, God, this was such a powerful moment. Um, Eshit. I had never heard of that word, but Eshit, E-S-C-H-E-A-T. I've never heard it's of it. It's money that is held by the state because it's nobody, it belongs to some a, a person, but they can't find them. My grandmother had bought stock in my name many, many years ago, and then she had died in the uh, early '80s, and this was all forgotten. And there were that company had gone out of business, and there was some money left, value left on that stock. And it was held in a sheet. And my name was published in a newspaper. And someone said, I know him, and told me about it. And I got this check in the mail. 
Okay, so I got a check. Let's say I got the check the day before or whatever, but it was somewhere right there at it. I got this unexpected money, $75, and then I got this unexpected bill for $75. And I'm pissed off about it driving to my meeting. And then I pull up to Summit Club where my meeting was, and I'm about to turn in to the clubhouse parking lot, and that's when it got flipped. Hmm. It wasn't... Every time I get something, something takes it away. Instead, it flipped to, I was just given what I needed. You quit being a victim and became grateful. It's Maybe gratitude. Not. It was. It, 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 but that, that is one of those moments where the I'm being cared for sense, that, that trust started kicking in. And I think it's one of those things that, despite my best efforts... I have not, even before sobriety, I have not completely fucked up my life and I have managed to live. So what I needed to do was, and and this is what's happened, is when I look back over my life, yep, cared for, yep, got what you need, yep. Oh, that really, that was a shitty time. Look how it turned out. You got what you needed and you got something better that you never could have seen. You know, this this continues to be a pattern, but it wasn't until I had done this work and I was able to see that that I can carry that forward now in trust. What about you, Doris? What's what's an example of some place where you surrendered to help you get trust? I have no idea. (laughs) I just started feeling it, honestly. Like, I just... I maybe it was somewhere between year two and three to where I just was okay being alone because I was alone, you know, in, in year two. Like I just, I was very alone, and it and it was God, me and God. Why were you alone? You know, I I don't know. I just chose to isolate myself. I'm that kind of person sometimes where I I just like kind of take away. Um, I was going through a lot, you know. I had um just you know lost those friendships and mm-hmm. and I had to learn how to just be one with my higher power and I don't know it just it, it's just kind of like that daily practice of accepting life and of course I wasn't always alone you know I mean there were people around me and things like that but um to share stories with and laughter with was you know aside from my sponsor and a couple of Sponsee sisters that I had at that time, which it sounds, I hate saying Sponsee sisters. <laughs> I really do. Like, oh, Why? I don't know. There's just something about that that sounds so incestuous that I'm just not a fan of. You know, like, like I just. sister wife. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh. You know. Just call them your bros. <laughs> just call them your bros. My bros. You know, it's just, I, I find it st- still weird. <laughs> you know, like I, I, sometimes sponsorship is, is still a weird thing. What about pigeons? Oh, I hated that term. Seriously? I, God, I, I like my it. first sponsor. You like it? I like pigeons. Do you really? Yeah, it sounds fun. Oh, my God. My first sponsor, who was my sponsor in name I, only, because I, I, I did not use him at all, but he called me a pigeon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, do like not it. call me up. <laughs> Is there a story behind the reason pigeon? Or oh, it? now that what I've heard, it's because <laughs> sponsors call sponsees pigeons because they, they shit all over them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the reason, but in Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, they're talking about pigeons from the very beginning. So they use lots of slang. Dr. Bob had tons of slang, and mm-hmm. you know he used it all the time. So that's where pigeons comes from the very beginning. Huh. But it doesn't make it okay. 
Yeah, I, it's kind of actually. Uh, as much there as was Teresa likes it, <laughs> there was an old timer who he was at a meeting and he was talking and, he was, and uh, about his sponsees and he said, "What? What's the word? I cut one of my uh, one of my uh, 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 buzzards." Uh, buzzards. <laughs> no, not buzzard. <laughs> he was trying to think of pigeon. Oh God, that's great. <laughs> Speaking of fowl. Oh no. <laughs> Watch out. Protect Uh-oh. your head. It's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? The hell? You That's... keep on going like that, you're going to bust a vein and die. I'm... Then you won't be an old timer. <laughs> I'm a crotchety, cranky old timer. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me how long I've been sober. <laughs> I've been sober since I woke up this morning. <laughs> That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. That's right, Shani. <laughs> you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. Ah. <laughs> Old timer. This is from David in Silicarga, Alabama. Silicarga. Silicarga. That exists. Somebody seems to think so. <laughs> <laughs> How am I seeing what I'm seeing from 12 steps in a book? How does it really work? That's so it sounds like there's success there. You know, it's like... It looks like this is working, but how is how are twelve steps in a book doing this? How does it really work? Yeah, how is what is happening to me? Yeah. Well, it was amazing coming through the steps in the first year, how things were falling into place, how I was like not drinking. It would be it's been four weeks and I haven't had anything to drink. It's I never went four weeks without drinking. How is that happening? And then making slightly better decisions, one decision at a time. And things began to clear up in my life. I mean, sometimes it would go completely haywire, but I could find myself doing something different. Oh, I know a story. The uh, I was at work. I, I went onto the job, and my crew had piled up a bunch of oily rags, made them in a big ball, stuffed them into a one-gallon can to treat it like a trash can, which also, with oily rags, turns it potentially into a bomb that's going to burst into flames spontaneously. Well, we had talked before, I talked before, the oily rags, we spread them out because we, we were working with oil paint and dealt with oily rags every day. Well, they didn't do that. They made this bomb. And I was so mad because we had talked about it. And if I hadn't come up there and found that and it had burst into flames, I'd be responsible for burning down a furniture showroom. Mm. So I went, Don, you're angry. I took the rags out, spread them out, and went outside, outside of this industrial building, sat down by the railroad tracks and asked God to direct my thinking and to take this anger away. This was bizarre behavior. I calmed down and I went upstairs and talked to him about 
why we can't do that, what happened, and they were apologetic, and they never did it again. My behavior was 100% different. How is this happening to me? And it was happening to me because I was paying attention to what to the steps that don't make any sense, doing it anyway, doing what I was told. I'm staying sober somebody else's way, and I'm making one by one, one decision at a time. I'm living, you know, like we live one day at a time. You got to also make one decision at a time, and I can make a bad decision or I can make a good decision. And using the tools, I can analyze it, and I tend to make a better decision than I made before. That's how my life gets better. That's how it's happening. It's incremental from working the steps and being willing to take the suggestions, which are how to live. Mm -hmm. The steps are how to live. What about you, Teresa? Um, How would you respond to that? Do you want me to reread it? Yes, please. How am I seeing what I'm seeing from 12 steps in a book? How does it really work? You know, how does it really work? I have no idea. I don't, you know, like I, I do what's, what's in front of me. I did what was in front of me. I still do. And those 12 steps, I just kind of did it as it was in that book. Um, I would say, how am I seeing what I'm seeing with the 12 steps every day living, you know, every day I live and I don't have that desire to drink. For an example, I remember going on a beach trip with family and I was making drinks for everybody because I was a bartender throughout almost half of my sobriety. Oh, wow. Um, really? Yeah. I don't suggest that. <laughs> it was just my experience. But, you know, I, I make a pretty damn good Bloody Mary and margarita. And so I was making mar- margaritas and Bloody Marys for, you know, we went on a family vacation. And that desire to drink kind of came. And I immediately withdrew. You know, like it's like my hand touched that flame and I recoiled is exactly what happened. And and I, I left the house. You know, I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to die right now. You know, I was just <laughs> like, listen, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to a meeting. I think we were at Emerald Isle at that point. And so I left and I was like Googling, you know, AA meetings and stuff like that. And I found a meeting. I called my sponsor on the way to the meeting. I told her, I was like, listen, I I really had like, it it was the first time that I had a desire to drink. And you had a drink in your hand. Yeah. And, and she started giggling, you know, my, my, my first sponsor, like she kind of giggled at me a lot. You know, she was just like, well, I mean, of course, I mean, you're an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're alcoholics that that's going to happen every once in a while. It's just what we do with that. It's those 12 steps. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I was, I didn't let up on my spiritual practice. Like I continued to practice it on a daily basis. My spiritual reprieve, I guess that's the, that's the statement. But anywho, so I, you know, went to this meeting, it was on a military base, which was super cool, you know, and, um, I love going to meetings in different places. Um, cause it's really nice to see how other people, mm. their chip system too, cause it's not always a chip, you know? And so I go to this um, meeting and I leave and I call another, you know, AA and um, we're talking on the way back. And instead of continuing to make drinks, I just, I, you know, talking with my sponsor and talking with another friend, I, I accepted the fact that I don't have to, you know, like I don't have to continue to make drinks for people and, mm-hmm. and I could just be, 
a part of. Like for me, like sometimes it's like the, that people, places and things sometimes, or maybe not so much people, places or things, but it's that fear of, of people and, and certain situations. Um, and it was my way of trying to be of service, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was cleaning and cooking, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just me and my husband, it's me and my husband, his aunt, his grandmother, his mother, his brother, his sister-in-law, like it was everybody, you know? And, um, and I was, and I made myself, the bartender. It's not like anybody asked me to do it. Right. You know, no one forced anything. <laughs> I did. I chose to, to, to play that part and it was unhealthy for me. Mm-hmm. And so I came back and no one asked me. <laughs> of course, my ego is a little deflated. No one asked me to make a drink after that. No one said anything. You know, the only person who knew I went to a meeting was my husband. Because, you know, I'm. it's not like I was just like, hey, everybody, I'm peacing out going to a meeting. I, I you know, I wasn't like that. I just kind of walked away and I was gone. No one asked where I was. <laughs> How rude. You know, when I came back, I went to bed and that was it. Like that was the end of me making drinks. And and I guess that's when those, that that's when I can say, I, I see what I saw, what was in front of me was those 12 steps being a part of my life. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I had a sponsor who pointed out a phrase to me, uncommon thinking becomes common. Hmm. And it's a phrase, that Blair, he's been on the show, mm-hmm. um, really, he really likes that phrase. And, and it's something I had never paid attention to. What it means to me is the psychic change mm-hmm. that we talk about in this program, the, the change in my thinking. And that comes about, you know, th- how does it really work? My thinking got changed. Well, how did my thinking get changed? It's another one of those trite phrases of I can't think myself into right living. I have to live myself into right thinking. Mm-hmm. So what I did, what did I do? I came in here and I did what people told me to do, particularly a sponsor. But I did it someone else's way, as you said, Don. And so my actions changed. And I started doing things that I wouldn't normally do. And ultimately, my thinking changed into thinking the way I didn't normally think. One of the things I absolutely love is a, um, a story from a, a friend that, uh, that I knew in Durham that is a scientist. And he was so pissed off about an intervention that happened and he had to be committed to a treatment center. And, and then he found this guy that had the same problem that he had. And the guy was sober. And so he, being a scientist, said, all right, well, I've still got plan B at home, which is a shotgun, but I'm going to try this. And being a scientist, I have to do it exactly as it states. I have to follow this experiment exactly as it's written. And it pissed him off that it worked. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. Even if you don't want this to work, It'll work, but you have to follow the recipe. You have to follow the procedure. And in doing that, something changed. When I came in here, I naturally have an inquisitive nature. I want to figure shit out. Uh, And one of the things that I got really clear with working with my first sponsor is that me trying to figure this out is going to get in the way of me doing it. Mm. So I can't turn off the figurer outer I can't turn it off. So I let it spin over here in the side 
and still did what was in front of me. And I got the results. Yeah. We don't have to understand how AA works for it to work. Yeah. Mm. I also didn't have to understand God to be able to pray to a higher power. And still don't. And I still don't understand it. <laughs> and I don't have to understand it for it to work. I don't have to define it at all today. Yeah. As I, you know, I'm, I say this frequently just so other people will hear it, but as an atheist, it still it works. Mm-hmm. Do I believe in what lots of other people believe? No. And that's okay. What I've found is something that works. Yeah. Teresa, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. Yes. Now, here, here comes that, that foul foul. Okay. Ooh, that was a peppy owl. <laughs> thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. doing continuing to be a bartender for, <laughs> for two years or about say about four years yeah four years yeah. that just sounds like a recipe for disaster if you hang around a barber shop mm-hmm. long enough you'll end up getting a haircut and I had a sponsor that was a bartender he said that I think it was after about three months or so he he had to quit because there's just no distance between the thought of drinking and a drink if you're working in a bar and so handling from, drinks. So from my experience, I think it was more so the fact that it was a restaurant bar. Gotcha. So yeah. Yeah, so it was much different. It wasn't just like a bar scene. Like I mean, I worked during the day. Uh-huh. And and it, and Saturday nights, and I left at eleven o'clock. You know, or I worked. You know, the the rush shift. So I guess that's that was the difference for me was that it was a restaurant and and not a true club. Yeah. Well, I would throw sense. out also. First of all, there there are a lot of people who are in in um, server server positions and such that that have to deal with alcohol mm-hmm. who are in recovery. But absolutely, you know, yeah. But the the I think the the secret here is, and and I don't have experience with this. This is purely mm-hmm. my supposition. But but that it's a job. Mm-hmm. It's a job, yeah. and provided I'm going there to do my job and do my work. Is it something I would recommend to someone in early recovery? I know. But I know people with long-term sobriety who own bars, who who are bartenders in like dive bars and stuff, and nightclubs and things like that, that uh, they're fine. Um, Yeah, we can go anywhere and do anything as long as we have a good reason for being there. So that's there, but... But early recovery would be tough. Early recovery would be hard. I played in bands and played in clubs, played music. And for two years, well, I think it was one year, for the whole first year, I 
I didn't do it, not once. I just couldn't go in to a bar as a musician. And then I've been able, I can do it now, and I was able to do it after the, uh, that first year. And it was a whole different experience being there because I had a reason to be there, and I was focused on what I was doing. So mm-hmm. I can see that, but being new in sobriety and every day being in the, working with alcohol, it, I would see it being tough. I could see it being tough. Yeah. But you, I mean, did you well, struggle with that? Did you feel um, not, that at all, or was it just like ne- you're neutral? I mean, I had been a bartender for so long that it was just, I was just It was work. To, it was work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for me, it wasn't really anything mm. that I had it attached to it. Rude. What kind of bartender are you? Seriously. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> the drunk kind. <laughs> the judgmental <laughs> alcoholic. The kind. hair of the gorilla kind. Do you, hear, do you know about hair of the gorilla? No. Gorilla. I'd forgotten. It may be gorilla hair or something. But but uh, it's it's taking the drink mat yeah. and all of the overflow and pouring all that into a single glass. Oh my god. <laughs> that is. Disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? You got to do what you got to do. Hey, (laughs) alcoholics are not picky.